Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus. It's so great to see all of you, and uh, you braved the wind. I'm so glad. I woke up this morning, man. I thought my house was going to blow down, but uh, here I I wondered, are people coming to church this morning, or are they going to stay home? You guys are are brave. You braved it. You're here. Here we go. Kevin said that we are in week two of our series titled Sent. We're studying the first eight chapters in the book of Acts, and it's the beginnings of the very first church. And what we saw last week was that the first church was not a place, but it was a collection of people. Now, when you and I think about that word church, what we often think about is a place, isn't it? We think about a location. We think about a building. We say things like, I I go to church at Genesis. I go to church in Noblesville, or I go to Fishers. But when we studied the, the first chapter of the book of Acts last week, what we saw is that that was foreign to the, to the very first church. According to the book of Acts, the church wasn't started as a place or a building. The church began as a movement. It was a collection of people gathered around the message and the mission of Jesus, and they were united by their faith in him. But we also noted that a church shouldn't be defined by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. And that is to say, we don't gather together to gather together, right? I mean, that's sometimes what we do, but it's not what we should do, not according to the book of Acts, because a faithful church isn't necessarily the one with the largest attendance or the biggest auditorium, but rather the faithful church is the one that is faithful to the work of making disciples. We saw last week that the church is not a fortress to hide in. It is a force to be reckoned with. The church is a force for good in this world. It is a force for hope. It is a force that is carrying on the work that Jesus gave us almost 2,000 years ago. And I realize that that description of the church may not sound at all like the church you grew up in. It may not sound at all like your previous church experience, but I want you to know it is the kind of church that we are striving to be here at Genesis But here's the thing, that church that I just described for you and the church that we read about last week, we will never become that on our own power and our own strength. Because here's one of the keys that I want you to grasp this morning. Human power can never produce God-sized results. It cannot happen. Human power cannot produce God-sized results. And so Jesus didn't say to his disciples, hey guys, I'm taking off, but good luck. Like, just try your hardest, do your best, we'll see what happens, I'm out, right? He didn't say that. We're going to look at what he did say in Acts chapter 1 in just a second. But before we do that, in case you haven't been tracking with us, I want to catch you up to where we are in the story. We know that Jesus spent about three years in his earthly ministry. That was three years of time that he spent with his disciples, teaching them and showing them his model for disciple making and letting them get out and test it. He was preparing them for the day that he would leave so that this message and this mission could move forward. And we know that that Jesus was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And what we read last week in Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us that Jesus spent about 40 days with his disciples in his resurrected body. So after Jesus came back from the dead, there was that period of 40 days that Christ was with his disciples. That's where we are in Acts chapter 1 in verse 4 when it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait 
Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And if you want to know what Jesus is talking about there when he talks about this this gift that he had spoken to them about, you can go back to John chapter 14. It's the night when Jesus would ultimately be betrayed, the night of the Last Supper. And Jesus was talking with his disciples in John 14, and he told them, hey, I'm going to go away. But when I do, I'm going to send you another helper. It's the gift of my Holy Spirit. And so now in Acts chapter 1, What we see is that after 40 days of being with his disciples, Jesus is telling them, hey, that time is coming soon. Verse 5, he said, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Greek word that is translated here as baptized is the word baptizo. Right? That's not too far away from, from our English word. You can hear it in there. Baptizo literally means to immerse. And that's why if you, get, uh, if you get baptized at Genesis on a Sunday morning, we don't sprinkle you. We don't splash a little water on you. We send you all the way under the water, even if we have to sweep your leg to make it happen. You are going down. We are putting you under the water. It is a full immersion, and you will be overcome by the water when that happens. Well, that is what Jesus says is going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes. You are going to be overwhelmed by by, immersed in, baptizoed with the Holy Spirit. And this is a huge shift in the scriptures. It's a huge shift because what we saw in the Old Testament was that the Holy Spirit would come on specific people for a specific task, specific purpose, and for a specific time. But then the Spirit would leave. But now what Jesus has told his disciples in John chapter 14 is that when the gift of the Holy Spirit comes, he's not coming just for a time. He's going to be with you permanently. He is going to live inside of you and you will quite literally be immersed, overcome by the Holy Spirit of God forever. Okay? And so then Jesus says in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I want to focus in on that word power. The word that's translated in our Bible as power is the Greek word dunamis. And it's the the root of our word dynamite. Okay, it means a mighty force. It means an explosive or a miraculous power. It's dunamis. It's, it's power. And Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples will re- receive this mighty, miraculous, explosive power of God. And that's significant. Let me tell you why. As I was thinking about how to, how to illustrate this mighty power of God, my mind went back to when my family lived in Michigan. And we moved into a home that had a wood-burning boiler as its primary heat source. And so I had to very quickly figure out how to cut down a tree and process it into firewood so that we could have heat in the wintertime. And there are a number of different ways that you can go about uh, processing firewood. And there's a number of different tools that you can use. You, you likely are familiar with this one. 
Uh, it's just an axe, right? We've all seen an axe before, and this is actually my splitting axe. This is more for splitting than it is for chopping, but uh, you can definitely see how you could use a tool like this to cut down a tree. And if you know what you're doing, you could do that in a reasonable amount of time. You could buck that tree up into, you know, 16 or 18 inch lengths, and then you could turn those up on end, and you could split them into usable firewood. And if you're a professional lumberjack, you could probably do that in a decent amount of time. Uh, but I am not a professional lumberjack. And so I opted for something with a little bit more power. <clears throat> this is my Husqvarna 455 Rancher. And this baby has 55 cc's of tree shredding power, okay? And that sound that you're hearing right now is quite literally the explosive power of gasoline entering the combustion chamber, being hit by a spark from the spark plug and exploding, sending that power out to the bar and driving the chain around the bar so that you can cut down a tree in a matter of seconds, right? And I know you all are really concerned about my safety up here right now. <laughs> I took the chain off of this. This saw has been neutered, okay? So it's not gonna hurt anybody. But you can see how a guy with a saw like this could do so much more work than a guy with just an ax, right? There's no way that even the most experienced lumberjack could keep up with a guy working with the explosive power of a chainsaw. And that's the kind of power that Jesus is talking about. It's not a power that we're going to produce or that the disciples are going to produce. It's the explosive power of God. Now, what did Jesus say this power was going to enable the disciples to do? They're not going to be cutting down trees, right? No, they're going to be going to the ends of the earth. They're going to be Jesus's witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Now listen to this. Who was Jesus talking to when he said that? These were his disciples, right? These were ordinary people. Sometimes we read these scriptures and we think of these people as some, some really high and really important. No, they were ordinary people. They were like you and they were like me. These were fishermen. These were tax collectors. These were just ordinary people. But Jesus says, I want you to wait because when my Holy Spirit comes to you, He's going to give you power to do what you could not do on your own. He's going to give you power to take my message all over the world. Man, it stinks up here. <laughs> it smells like exhaust. You love the smell of chainsaw in the morning, right? So Jesus gave them this promise. Don't leave Jerusalem. And then he ascended up into heaven. Now look at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Here's what it says in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Okay, so all the disciples are gathered up in one place, and it's talking about the day of Pentecost. And if you don't know, Pentecost is a Jewish uh, feast, a Jewish celebration, and it happened 50 days after the celebration of Passover. And so we know that, that Jesus died on Passover. We know that Luke has told us that he spent 40 days after his resurrection with the disciples. And so Pentecost is happening about 10 days after Jesus ascended, right? It's about a 10-day window. We don't know for sure, but, but probably somewhere in a 10-day window. And in that time, in that 10-day window, Christ has ascended. They're waiting for the gift of the Spirit. I'm guessing those disciples were some combination of, of nervous and excited and anxious and maybe a little bit scared. And I have to imagine that during their time together, man, they were wondering, like, 
How's this going to happen? Like Jesus said in a few days, right? It's, it's already been several days. Did it happen? Did we just not know it? Like, is he here? How do we, I just, I wish Jesus was still here, right? All of those feelings. Don't forget, these were ordinary people. They had feelings just like you do and just like I do. And the same questions we would have had. But on the day of Pentecost, look at what happened in verse 2. It says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. I thought it was Pentecost this morning when I woke up, right? <laughs> Heard that wind blowing against my house. Filled the whole house when they were, where they were sitting. And it's really interesting to know that in the Old Testament, the wind often symbolized the power of God, okay? And so that's what they're experiencing, the wind and the power of God. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. And in the Old Testament, fire often symbolized the presence of God. Think about Exodus 3 with Moses in the burning bush. It's the presence of God. And the tongues of fire, it says, they separated and they came to rest on each of them. So no one was excluded, men and women, every believer of Jesus in that house that day. The fire came and rested on them. And verse 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, that word tongues here specifically means languages. And that becomes clear in verse 5 where it says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. What were they doing there? They were celebrating Pentecost, right? Jews from every nation under heaven, it said, have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And verse 6 says, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. So these Jews have come from, from everywhere, and they spoke different languages and different dialects, but what they hear happening is that the disciples have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they are now speaking languages they never learned, languages they did not know, but languages that all of these different peoples understood. They were speaking in their own tongues. Verse 7 says, Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Like, you're not from my town, right? You didn't come with me, but you're speaking my language. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then it, the text goes through, if you're following along, it lists all the different peoples and all the regions and where they were all from. And verse 11 says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, how many of you have ever tried to communicate with someone who did not speak the same language as you? Have you ever had an experience like that? Several of us have. And that can be uh, really difficult even to communicate like just a very simple truth, right? Or even frustrating if there's something urgent that needs to happen and, and you're trying to communicate and they don't get it and you don't understand. I had this situation uh, when I was uh, shortly out of college, I worked for a painting crew and we got on a job where we were working right behind a group of drywallers. So they would finish in a room, we'd move in and paint it. They'd do the next room, we'd move in and paint it. But the thing was, none of them spoke English and none of us spoke Spanish. But that did not stop my boss from trying, okay? He was constantly going into the next room and he only knew one word in Spanish. It was the word mucho. Okay, and so he would walk into this room with all these guys doing drywall, and he'd just go, mucho! And, uh, and they'd look at him, and what he was trying to say was like, do you have much more work to do? How much longer until my guys can come in the room? But all he was saying was, mucho! 
And they kind of looked at him and they looked at each other like, what is this crazy guy talking about? And so my boss, recognizing that they weren't getting it, decided he'd just say it louder. Mucho! And, uh, and they all started laughing and I was like, dude, they're not deaf. They don't speak English, right? But that's the, that's the language barrier, isn't it? It was preventing them from understanding what was being communicated. And that exact same thing would have been true for these disciples had the Holy Spirit not come and empowered them to speak languages they did not know, to speak in these tongues they had never learned before. But because the disciples had received power, the people all responded, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, I want you to think about this. This is so cool. This just hit me last night. You've probably, you already knew this probably, but it just hit me last night. The text says that those who heard them were from every nation under heaven. All, all of them came to Jerusalem for Pentecost from every nation. And then the disciples were able to speak to them in their own languages. Listen, Jesus told them, I'm going to give you power to what? To be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And in this one day, with the receiving of the Holy Spirit and by his power, they were able to accomplish that purpose without even leaving Jerusalem. This wasn't the end of the work, but even at the very beginning of the work, God brought men from every nation under heaven into Jerusalem and then enabled his disciples to speak the message of Christ to them in a way that they could hear and that they could understand. And verse 12 tells us that the people, amazed and perplexed, asked one another, what does this mean? Like they realized something special was happening here and, and some of the people made fun of them. Some of them assumed that, that they were drunk. Uh, they started laughing at them. But Peter, Peter takes this opportunity and uh, he gets up and, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he begins to preach and he tells them, brothers, these, these men are not drunk as you assume. And I don't know about you. I don't know anybody who does anything better when they're drunk. Like why they would think that helped them speak in tongues, I don't know. But uh, they're not drunk. But let me tell you something. And he proceeds to, to just lay out the gospel message for these people. We're not going to read all the way through it today for the sake of time, but this is your homework. I want you to read all of Acts chapter 2 from start to finish this week and just read the words that Peter spoke to these people. I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version, okay? Peter told this crowd that had assembled, God sent his son Jesus to save you from your sins. But instead of listening to him, you crucified him. You sent him to his death. But God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Savior. And in verse 37... Look what it says. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And watch this. And he says, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. Peter's had the gift of the Holy Spirit for all of a, a matter of minutes, right? assuming that, you know, we don't really know the time frame, but a very short period of time. And here he is already saying, you accept Christ, you get the forgiveness of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is yours. He's already given it away. And in verse 41, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
3,000 people, you guys. Jesus told his disciples they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came. And that power would allow them to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. And 10 days passed where presumably nothing happened. There's nothing written about that that in-between time period, but, but we can assume that they were doing what Jesus told them to do. They were just waiting. And then, just as Jesus had told them, the Spirit came, and the disciples received power, and the immediate result was 3,000 new believers, 3,000 people who moved from death to life in that one day because they waited, and they worked not in their own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it did cause me to think as I was writing this message, like what would have happened if the disciples had just gotten tired of waiting? We get tired of waiting sometimes, right? And, and uh, we're Americans, so we can do it by ourselves. And so what if, they had, what if they had just taken this upon themselves and they thought, well, what, what harm could it do, right? Like, I, let's just go out there. Let's just start doing our thing. Let's start telling people about Jesus and let's just, let's just see what happens. I bet God will be really pleased with our results. Do you think for one minute that if these disciples had acted in their own strength, that they would have made any kind of a dent in in the, the population that was gathered there in Jerusalem? And if you're struggling with that question, the answer is no. Because again, we can never expect god sized results from our human efforts. And God made it abundantly clear right from the get go, right from the beginning, that the Holy Spirit is the power behind the church. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the church. The church does not operate on my strength and yours. It does not operate on human power. We don't rely on human strength. We don't rely on our own wisdom, our own stature. We rely on the powerful Holy Spirit of God. And the reason you are sitting here today and the reason that the gospel message at some point 2,000 years later made it to your ears is not because of human effort, but because the Holy Spirit empowered these very first believers to take Christ's message to the very ends of the earth. And it has endured, folks, for almost 2,000 years. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? So in the time we have left, I want to very quickly share with you three ways that the Holy Spirit empowers his church even today. And this is not an exhaustive list, but a few things that we can see in scripture that the Holy Spirit does to give his church power. The first is this, the Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. And I want you to think about the story that we just read in in Acts chapter two. And I want you to think about what Peter did before this crowd of people. And I want you to, to realize That this crowd that Peter was addressing, these were likely some of the very same people who just seven weeks earlier had cheered the death of Jesus Christ. There very likely were those in the crowd who were directly responsible for sending him to the cross. That's who Peter is talking to in this crowd. And the, the disciples had to realize that publicly aligning themselves with the message of Jesus that it it could have meant arrest for them. It could have meant torture for them. It could have meant their death. But I also want you to recognize that that this Peter, who's standing before this crowd and, and proclaiming the truth of Christ, he's also the same Peter that just seven weeks ago denied knowing Jesus, not once, but three times. 
three times he saved his own skin by saying, you got the wrong guy. Like, I wasn't with Jesus. No, I, I never knew him. That was the same Peter. But now, here he is, boldly standing before the very people who crucified the Lord and could crucify him. And he's preaching the gospel to them and he's calling them to repent. What led to this incredible turnaround for Peter? Well, I think two things played into it. First was Jesus' post-resurrection invitation for Peter to rejoin the ministry. Because here's what happened. After Peter denied Christ, he hung his head in shame and he, he walked away. And he went back to what he knew how to do. He went back to fishing for fish, right? Peter was a fisherman. So that's, that's what he's doing. He's out catching fish, just going to make a living, go back to life the way it was three years ago before he ever knew Jesus. And that's where Jesus finds him. After Jesus' resurrection, Peter's fishing. And Jesus doesn't scold him. He doesn't berate him. He doesn't punish him. No, he gently invites Peter back into the ministry of making disciples. That's the first thing that I think changed for Peter. The second thing was obviously the gift that Jesus gave him and the power that Peter received from the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, here he is standing once again before the people who could take his life. But now he goes from Peter the denier to Peter the bold. And all of a sudden, he doesn't care. You can't shut him up. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what you do to him. He's going to share the good news of Jesus no matter what. And I'm here today to tell you that those two game changers for Peter, that invitation to ministry and that gift of the powerful Holy Spirit is exactly the same for every follower of Jesus Christ in this room and beyond today. It's exactly the same. If you have surrendered your, your life to Christ, if you've made him your Lord and Savior, you are part of his family. You are part of his church, and part of that is being invited into his work. We have been called to be ambassadors for Christ here on earth. It's as if we are calling out to men, pleading with them, come back to God. And the moment you surrender your life to Jesus, the powerful Holy Spirit moves into your heart, and he wants to empower you to engage boldly with the people he has put in your life who are far from him. And the moment that that happens... Like most of us just start thinking about all of the reasons why, you know, like why we're not the ones, right? That's, that's not my personality. You don't, you don't understand. I, I can't do that. I, I, that's way outside of my comfort zone. I don't talk good. Whatever, you know, whatever it might be. All of these excuses that we have, the reasons why we are insufficient for this task. But here's what I want you to understand. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we can do on our own strength. It's about what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in us by his miraculous power. And he wants to give you the boldness to share the life-giving message of Jesus Christ with people who are far from him. You can ask him for that. You can tell him, God, I've heard that before and I just kind of said no and I suppressed that. I don't want to do that anymore. When your Holy Spirit says, speak, I want to speak. When he says, be silent, I'll be silent. But the Holy Spirit can give you power to share Christ boldly. Next is this. The Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome weakness. Now, Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
And we don't know what Paul's weakness was, but scholars speculate that, that maybe it was some kind of a physical ailment, or maybe it was a spiritual struggle that, that Paul had, or maybe even it was a specific person that was coming against Paul. We don't know what the weakness was, but we know it was serious. Because when Paul talks about his weakness, he describes it as a thorn in his flesh. He describes it as a messenger from Satan, you guys. Like this is serious language, right? This is something that, that Paul was contending with and he begged God to take it from him. God, just take this thing away from me. I could do so much more if I didn't have this messenger from Satan, this thorn in my side. But I want you to notice God's response to Paul in verse nine of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul hears that and he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, he says, then I am strong. Listen, when we come to the end of our strength, the Holy Spirit is strong where we cannot be strong. And he gives us power in our weakness. Wherever you are weak today, I want you to know the Holy Spirit can be strong for you. Maybe you're a parent and uh, you're engaging with your kids at whatever age they may be and you're just thinking, man, I did, I did not sign up for this, right? I, I didn't expect this. I don't know how to lead through this. These kids are driving me nuts and I think I might be ruining their lives, right? <laughs> Any parents ever felt that way before? I have, I've been there. Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit can give you wisdom in your parenting. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to change course. The Holy Spirit can give you wisdom for that. He might not show you the end game. He might not show you the whole path, but just for today. What do I need to do today to help my kids know and love Jesus better? What do I need to, to do today to, to shepherd their hearts what do I need to do today as a parent? Holy Spirit, would you give me the power to overcome this weakness of mine and to lead my kids well? He can be strong for you in that area. Or you may have a situation at work and you're thinking, man, I can't endure this one more day. And the thought of getting up and getting in your car and walking into that building one more time, like it's just overwhelming for you. I want you to know that where you are weak, the Holy Spirit can be strong for you. And you surrender that to God and you just tell him, Lord, I've got nothing left. Like, I can't do this another day, but I'm trusting that you have the strength for me. If you have called me to this, I'm gonna be faithful to it. I'm gonna keep on working here until you tell me to work somewhere else. The Spirit can do that for you. Or maybe you have a sin in your life that you just cannot overcome and, and you've tried and you want to be different, but it is just not happening. I want you to know the Holy Spirit can give you power where you are weak. You ask him for it and you trust him for it and you be obedient to him when he lays those steps before you. God's power is made perfect in our weakness so that we can declare like Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. So the Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. He gives us power to overcome weakness. And finally this, the third point is that the Holy Spirit gives us power to overflow with hope. I wonder if there might be some people here today uh, who came into the room and you would say that, that your tank, your hope tank is pretty low. And maybe you've experienced something in the past or, or maybe you're in the middle of something now or you see something ahead that 
that is just draining you of hope. If that is you today, I want to share with you one final passage from the book of Romans. It's something that I think Paul prayed for that first century church in Rome. And I want you to pay attention to what he says is our source of hope. In Romans 15, 13, Paul writes this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit works in the life of his church is to continually be filling us up with hope. He's reminding us to fix our eyes not on what is seen and temporary, but to fix them on what is is eternal, what is unseen and, and what is unchanging, that our reward is yet to come, but it is coming soon. And one of the ways that he does that, the way that, the way that this process works, the way that Paul lays out for us here in Romans 15, is that as we trust God, God fills us up with joy and peace. And that becomes the spark that ignites the powerful Holy Spirit to overflow us with hope. That seems to be the process that Paul lays out here. We trust in God. God fills us with joy and peace. The Holy Spirit overflows us with hope. So here's the thing. If you're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit overflowing hope in your life this morning, I think it's worthwhile to ask, what am I putting my trust in? What am I putting my trust in? Because that's where this whole thing starts. He says, you put your trust in God. And and here's the deal. If you are trusting in money today, you will never experience overflowing hope because you will always want more. If you are trusting in a relationship to bring you overflowing hope, you will be left high and dry because people, people will always let you down. They just will. If you are trusting in your health, if you are trusting in your career, if you are trusting in anything of this temporary world to provide you overflowing hope, it's not going to happen, guys. That's not where this overflowing hope comes from. If you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, overflowing hope in your life, it only comes as a result of putting your trust in God. And I've found that when that hopeless feeling starts to creep in for me, it's time to ask, where is my trust? And it's time for me to to, to start to evaluate my life. And often what I find is that my trust has shifted, maybe even just in some very small way, off of the God of hope, and onto something temporary. And it's time to correct course. And maybe that's true for you as well this morning. Now I want to finish by going back to my first point. The point that the Holy Spirit is the power behind the church. Because I want you to understand that when I say that, when we talk about this, even in the weeks to come, that when we talk about the church, I'm talking about you. Right? When you accept Christ, you become a part of his family. You become a part of his church. And so the Holy, power, Holy Spirit is the power that's inside of you. He's the power that's inside of each of us. And so my question to you this morning is this. If you are in Christ, are you experiencing Holy Spirit power in your life today? Are you experiencing the Holy Spirit's power to share Christ boldly? Are you experiencing the power to overcome weakness? Are you experiencing power to overflow with hope? Or are you trying to live the Christian life on your own strength? I want you to know that was never how this was intended to work. It was never intended to be a thing where we just tried harder or did our best or 
or uh, added really anything to the equation. We are simply vessels of the powerful Holy Spirit of God, and we will never experience God-sized results by just pushing ahead in our very limited human power. If that's you, if you're recognizing that maybe you've been doing that, your next move is to confess that to the Lord today and just tell him, I've, got, I've been living by my own strength. I've been trusting in something other than you, but I'm done with that. I want to live by your spirit. I want to listen for his voice. I want to be obedient to it. I want to experience his power in my life. He'll help you do that today. And I also recognize that there are some here today and, and you've never put your trust in God. Uh, you're doing your own thing. You're living your own way. But maybe you're finding that uh, that's not providing everything you thought it would. Maybe that's leaving you less than hopeful. And if that's true, I, I want you to know this morning the gospel message is very clear. It's very simple. It's simply that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous. No, not one. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. We've all separated ourselves from God by that sin. And the wages of sin is death. That's what we all deserve is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can have new life today. You can experience forgiveness for every sin you've ever committed, everything wrong you've ever done, all the garbage in your past, gone today. Forgiven, it's over. And you will receive the gift of the powerful Holy Spirit of God. That gift is available to you even today. I want you to recognize that the scripture also is clear that today is the day of God's favor. That today is the day of salvation. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. This is not something that you should think, I can put this off. I can keep living the way I want to live. I'll take care of that later. I'm having fun now. Don't do it. You're not, you're not guaranteed this afternoon. You're not guaranteed this next hour. If you feel the pull of the Holy Spirit on your heart today to respond to the gospel message, I want you to do it. I want you to come up and talk to me after service. And we'll pray together and we'll talk together and we'll take that step together. Let me pray for us now. Father God, I love you. And I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for loving my brothers and sisters here today. And I thank you that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Father, that you have offered us the gift. You have given your followers the gift of the powerful Holy Spirit. That Father, we don't have to live this life on our own strength, our own wisdom. In fact, God, you had never called us to that. But you called us to be faithful. To be faithful to do what you tell us to do in the power of your spirit. And so we want to do that, Lord. If you're highlighting maybe some areas where we have lived on our own strength, where we've just said, I'll do it myself. We haven't waited. We've just pushed ahead, Father. We repent of that this morning. Bring us back on track. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and to live in the power of your spirit even today, Lord. And if there are those here this morning, Father, who have never made a commitment to you, have never received that free gift of the forgiveness of their sins through the blood of Jesus Christ and the, the gift of your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would draw their heart today and that they would take that bold step of receiving Christ and living every day from this day forward for their good and your glory, Father. That's what we're after is your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray this morning. Amen. Hey, I love you all. I love being your pastor. 
Uh, I want to tell you, we're, we're going to wrap up just a little bit different this morning. We're not going to have a closing psalm, but I do want to remind you that uh, we've got some, some folks who are relying on us and a ministry partner who is, is looking forward to receiving what it is that, that we will be giving them for the people they serve. You can stop and grab a food tote this morning for Shepherd Community Center on your way out. If you haven't already done that this morning, would you grab one or two and join us in serving those folks? Otherwise, I hope you have a great week. We'll see you back next weekend. Take care.